Turn with me, please, to the first epistle of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and open your Bible at chapter 1, and keep it open, for we'll be referring to the Scriptures shortly. Last Monday at 2.30 a.m., a spacecraft sent from NASA headquarters in California, which was launched last November, 10 months ago, traveled at 14,000 miles an hour, and last Monday morning crashed into an asteroid 7 million miles up into space. The cost of us $300 million. <clears throat> it was electronically guided every inch of the way. Monitored from the space station, every action of it. And when it collided with the asteroid, a huge crater, rock the size of a football stadium, both integrated Remember the size of the rocket was just the size of a vending machine. And as those in NASA watched the contact made, dozens of scientists began to jump for glee and shout with glee for the great work that they had accomplished after working at it for seven years. Some of them held their hands over their mouth and they cried out, Oh my God, we have done it. When asked by a reporter to account for what they had done and for the time and the amount of money and the motive, here's what they said. We are preparing for a day when one of the great creators are going to break loose and destroy and wipe out the planet Earth. We believe that a passing star could clip the end of one of these craters, sending it hurling to catastrophic events on the Earth. We know that we can intercept it now. When asked would they be able to destroy it, they said we, were, we are not sure. I listened very carefully to what they said. We're not sure, but we'll be able, they said, to, to dunt it or shunt it to one side. Well, I only hope they don't dunt it out over the Moy Road. That's all they can do. They said, we believe that we'll be able to dunt it or shunt it out of the road. Where will they shunt it to? He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. These rocket scientists, along with the global warning boys led by Mr. David Attenborough, are claiming to be the saviour of life and the saviour of the planet. Science has now become our saviour. 
if we do the right thing and we spend the right amount of money and we get electric vehicles and get the bottles and the plastic bags out and blow our nose in the right way, we'll have carbon neutral in a few years, the leader of the Labour said at this conference. I think it was an ungodly man, I don't know who it was, but he said we used to trust in God, but now we trust in scientists. The more we believe in the sciences, the less we believe in God. That's the ploy of the last days. The more that sciences come and develop and things happen in the area of sciences, the less people will believe in God. Sure, if you're down and stressed out now and anxious and worried and fearful, you don't need to go to the doctor, you need to go to the dog. I used to hear them saying about going to the dogs. Well, I just watched the thing the other day about the dog. The dog can sniff round you three or four times and he can tell you whether you're sick or not. He wag his tail. This is the sort of thing that we're seeing. This is the sort of thing that we're listening to. Seven million miles is not very far when we come to space. And it's certainly not very far when we come to God's heaven. Well, the sun is 93 million miles away. Why didn't they go up past the sun and up past all the other orbits, thousands of them that they know nothing about and they've never... Why didn't they go on up past into affinity itself, into God's heaven? Why didn't they go to the gates of heaven and ask for Peter? The unlearned and ignorant fisherman from the banks of the Galilee and say to him, what do you think, Peter? Well, all Peter would have said to him, you go home and get my second letter that I wrote. In chapter 3, God will tell you. And that's what he said in Second Peter chapter 3. The elements being on fire will be dissolved and melt with fervent heat when the wrath of God and the judgment of God comes upon the world. That would have settled it all. It should, but it doesn't. A raft of scriptures came to my mind the other morning. I thought of what Paul says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I think of what Job says, taking the wise in their own craftiness. I thought of what Isaiah said, the wisdom of the wise men perish and the understanding of the prudent, that is the intelligentsia, they perish. Listen, Jeremiah, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom or the rich man glory in his riches or the great man glory in his might. But let him that glory glory in this that he understandeth and knoweth that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight. Listen to what Jesus said in one of his earthly prayers to his Father. I thank thee, O Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them unto babes. And out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained praise. That word babe there is an infant. An infant, a babbling, a, babbling, a babbling infant that doesn't understand anything. You know the Lord God would get more glory out of a babbling toddler that doesn't understand anything than he gets out of all this crowd of scientists who think they know everything. Before Paul came to Corinth, 
the capital of the city of Greece, where we're going to look at it in a moment. He was in the Greek city of Athens. He came from Athens to Corinth. Now, Greece was the home of the wise. The greatest intellects and philosophers, innovators, and communicators come from Greek culture. In fact, they're the fathers of modern science. The great and mighty wise men and astronomers in all of Greece was Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. The Jews seek for a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. When Paul saw the place at Athens full of idols, you'll read about it in Acts 17. He saw the statue to the unknown God on Mars Hill. And here's his spirit was stirred within him. Is it any wonder his spirit was stirred? All those great intellects worshiping idols, worshiping idols. All the great brains of the day bowing down before and scraping at old idols and to an unknown God that they didn't know. And I tell you, across our planet this morning and across our world this morning, the most brilliant and the most brightest men, men with brains as big as orbits, let me tell you this, they're blind and dark to the things of God. Isn't it wonderful, this terrible this morning to believe that men with high IQs and mighty intellects, mighty doctors, mighty scientists, mighty people, and they're bowing down to wood and stone this morning and they're worshipping in places this morning that's blasphemous. They're bowing down and but them scratching at the Muslims and the Hindus and the Sheikhs, great and mighty intellectual men, but dark and blind to the things of God. That's why I'm glad that I have no brains very much. Dark and blind to the things, to the things of God. And here he is on Mars Hill, and here's what he said to them on Mars Hill. He says, ye are ignorant. He says, ye ignorantly worship. The one that you ignorantly worship, he says, I declare unto you. And here's what he said to them. God that has made the world and all things therein, who is the Lord of the heaven and the earth, in whom we live and move and have our being. And he calls them people there to repentance. He says there's coming a day in which he shall judge the world by righteousness, by the man Christ Jesus whom he has ordained. Paul was never afraid to preach the gospel. He was never afraid to preach the gospel in all its clarity and all its entirety. He was never afraid, he never afraid to face these philosophers. They were philosophers, Epicureans and Stoics of Athens. He faced them. And he challenged them. He says there's coming a day when God's Son will judge the world and judge you. What a mighty man the Apostle Paul was. What a mighty man he was. What did they call him? Well, they called him a babbler. This man's only a babbler. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And they laughed at him and they mocked him. And when he preached on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they mocked him and they laughed at him. I heard the scientist saying not so long ago, God is dead, but he's not buried yet. He'll know all about it. He says it's time he was buried. Well, I'll tell you, he was buried and he's alive this morning. He's alive. This is what we're listening to now. This is what we're hearing now. And this is what we're going to hear more of. But here in 1 Corinthians, and remember he's still amongst the Greeks, it seems to me that even believers in the church at Corinth had problems with this. 
There seems to be a pride and a knowledge and an intellectual business going on in the church. And the church at Corinth was split. Nothing new for churches to split, you know. It's nothing new for churches to split over looking at men. And the church of Corinth, where many of these were very intellectual people, well, the church at Corinth was split over men. Some of them said, we want Apollos. Well, Apollos was a mighty intellect. He was powerful in the word. He would be suited to some of them. And then some said, we'd rather have Paul preaching. We'd rather have, he's a sort of a middle of the road man. He, we, we'd rather have the way Paul preaches and the way Paul presents things. We'd rather have Paul. No, no, no. He said, we, we want Apollos. And then there's others said, well, we, want Pe- we want Cephas. We want Peter. He's a down-to-earth fisherman. We want him. And there was division in the church over men. And then says, says we don't want, don't want any of them. We just want Christ. We don't need to be taught by men. We don't need colleges. We don't need universities. We, don't, we just need Christ. So talk about confusion in the midst of this church at Corinth that was started with such a price and with such power by the Apostle Paul. And there was this division and debate going on. Now, when we come to 1 Corinthians 1 and verse, verse 10, verse 12, Get your eyes on verse 12. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas and of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus, beside I know not whether I baptized any other. Baptism wasn't Paul's, wasn't, wasn't the priority with Paul. Nor is it the priority or should be in any evangelical church. There's other priorities as well. Now watch this. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now let me stop a wee moment there. From verse 17 into the first few verses of the next chapter, chapter 2, you have wisdom or wise mentioned 19 times. Now I want to make that point because it's important because the Holy Spirit doesn't mention something 19 times in as many verses without calling our attention to it and ask why is this? 19 times you have wisdom or wise. Six times you have foolishness or fools. So this chapter here on down, right through the chapter, is divided with Paul preaching about wise people, the wise and 
the foolish. Now, look down until you come to verse 26, and you can notice all the wisdoms if you want to. I'll call them out if you want. Back at 25, you have wiser. Back at 23, you have wisdom. Back at 22, you have wisdom. Back at 21, you have wisdom. 20 wisdom. 19 wisdom. Right up. And now it goes. But when we come, and then you have foolishness, all those times mentioned, if you want to take time, we'll not take time to pick them out this morning. But in verse 26, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. But God, this is one of the verses that I love, one of the verses that I latched on to very early in my ministry. And love it with all my heart this morning. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen you, yea, and things which are not to bring not things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So there are two kinds in this chapter, the wise and the foolish. There are two kinds out there this morning when we come to the gospel and the things of God, the wise and the foolish. There are two kinds of people in this meeting this morning, the wise and the foolish. Now, foolish is mentioned only six times and wisdom is mentioned 19 times and I'm glad that God always has the majority Are you wise this morning, or are you foolish? Well, we have plenty of scriptures to back that up. There was the wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the foolish man built it on the sand. Though the ten virgins, five were wise and five were foolish. There's a division now. There's a division in this meeting this morning. There's a division listening to me this morning out there on the airwaves or internet or YouTube or whatever you're listening to. There's a division. Maybe you're sitting in some home and your wife and you're watching or listening to me this morning and there's a division in the home. Your wife's a very wise woman, but you're a very foolish man. Maybe there's a family gathered around listening to what I am saying this morning. Maybe the, child, the, the young man and the young girl in the house are saved and they're wise and they're on their way to heaven, but you're not, mother, you're not. Well, you know it. There's a division between the wise and the foolish in this text, in this scripture. There's a, there's a division in this house today, this morning, between the wise and the, few, and, and the foolish. Now, whether you're wise or whether you're foolish this morning depends on one thing. 
doesn't depend on your intellect. It doesn't depend on your education. It doesn't depend on your job. It doesn't depend on your background. It doesn't depend on what race you've come from. It doesn't depend whether you're a doctor out of Queens or a professor. Or an inter- it doesn't, doesn't depend. It depends on what you think of the cross. What do you think of the cross? Not what you think of Jesus Christ. Now listen to what I'm saying this morning. Oh, you can think Jesus Christ was a great man. He's a great miracle worker and he's a great parable preacher. And he preached the sermon. He's a great man. I'm not asking you what you think about Christ. I'm not asking you what you think about his life or his sermons or his ministry. I'm not asking what you think of Paul's preaching on the doctrines of, in Romans. I'm not asking you. You may know those things. Intellectuals know those things. I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you what you think of the cross work of Jesus Christ. Because the great apostle Paul And mind you, the Apostle Paul could have gloried in many things. He says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He could have gloried in his academia. He could have gloried that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He could have gloried that he saw right into heaven and he had a vision like Isaiah. He never gloried in those things. He never gloried that he was one of the greatest intellects. Oxford University voted him in some years ago after studying all his 14 epistles said he's one of the greatest intellects that ever lived. He's not boasting in that. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross is the leveling ground. And I'm not talking about the cross around the neck. And I'm not talking about the cross in the front of your Bible. No, I'm not talking about the cross in front of the chapel. I'm talking about the cross work of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm asking you what what you think about his atoning work, his redeeming work, his substitutionary work, his sacrificial work. His reconciliatory work. What do you feel this morning? What do you think this morning of the sufferings of Jesus? Not his teachings. What do you think this morning of the pain and the shame? What do you think of the creator of all, of all things who sustains all things and keeps all things every day by the word of his power? What do you think of him stripped naked? Hmm? Because naked he was. And when you see Christ on the cross with a vestige of a garment around him, it's a lie. It says that in, in, in Acts 16, it says that Paul and Silas said they were shamefully treated in the prison at Silas. What is, why was that? Because they were stripped. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. 
What do you think this morning that the creator of, of all things, the almighty God, had the garments torn from him and he was stripped and he was nailed to an old rugged cross? What do you think of that this morning? Not very much, some of you. Hmm? What do you think when they put the crown of thorns down under his brow and hammered them down in his brow and lashed his back like a ploughed field and he opened not his mouth? What do you think of that? I heard someone saying, oh, I love the Lord. Well, if you love him, you'll obey him. What do you think of that this morning? What do you think of his suffering, of his pain, of his shame? What do you think of how it broke his father's heart to let him go? I was speaking to mothers that left their children to university, a couple of them, one from this church and one from another church, so hard to let them go. Cried for, for, for four hours, a woman said. What do you think of letting the Son of God as only the daily his delight? What do you think of letting him that never sinned amongst the myriads of, of cherubims and seraphims and hosts of heaven who was daily the Father's delight, who was his only begotten Son, the only Son of his love, that he parted with him from heaven? Is it any wonder that we have ten days? Do you know the ten days from, from the ascension of Jesus Christ to the, to the pouring out of the Spirit? There was 10 days in the upper room where 120 waited. Well, that 10 days was in heaven too, you know. What do you think when the Lord Jesus Christ went back into the glory and the gates was opened and the praise began to come of the angels, the seraphims, the cherubims, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost were united together for 10 days before anything was done. Boys, I would have loved to have been there. What do you think this morning? Hmm? Watch this text as we come to a close. And the text is verse 18. You have the preaching of the cross. Let me emphasize again, not the preaching of sermons on the mount or the parables or the miracles. Not the preaching of raising the dead or healing the leper. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. How stupid. What are these scientists saying this morning? How stupid, how foolish that a carpenter from Nazareth could have made one of these planets. How do you want, how foolish to think that one who was challenged and termed to be illegitimate and told to be sinless. Don't you tell me that a man died on an old cross. Do you know the cross in those days? In high society, they were not allowed to talk about the cross. It was so vile and so vulgar. It was banned at dinner parties. And the Romans never crucified one because they wouldn't. Crucified one of their own. One of their own. 
The cross was the most depraved, most awful, most low thing that ever anybody could think of. Oh, how foolish. Oh, the weakness, the stupidity, the barbarity. Do you want us to believe that? They didn't want to believe it and they don't want to believe it now. And they're not getting much of it now. Mark what I'm saying. Oh, Northern Ireland is full of great churches preaching the gospel. Well, are they? Are they? But as far as I can see, Northern Ireland's coming like Wales and coming like Scotland. Oh, they'll preach about the love of God and the greatness of God and the sermons of Jesus and all the great... I don't hear much preaching of the cross. I don't hear much. Oh, Puck and politics and Martin Luther and the reformers. And that's not what Paul's talking about here. That's the other stuff's not foolishness to them people. It's history, they know. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Oh, we want the love of God. Oh, we don't want this butcher house gospel. That's a name that's coming up more and more now. Butcher house gospel. Well, we don't want this gospel. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. It's foolish. That's why they're not in, listen, that's why they don't want to hear it, that's why they tear up the tracks. So there's a per- there's, a, there's a preaching of the cross and the perishing of the cross. Now you want, be very careful out and listen to what I'm going to say. For this needs to be sounded out in these days. When men and women are brought to the cross, it's by the foolishness of preaching. Look at verse 21. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, not foolish preaching. The foolishness of preaching, not foolish preaching. And there's a lot of foolish preaching going on, let me tell you. And you'll not have to go too far to get it. By the preaching of foolishness. And when the gospel is preached to the perishing, And the gospel has been preached to you this morning that are not saved here or wherever you may be. When this gospel is preached, the gospel of the cross is preached and you reject it, you're a fool. You're the greatest fool in the country. You hear that now? When you hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the lovely Savior, stripped naked and hung on a cross and nailed to a cross and bludgeoned and battered and crowned with thorns for your sins and my sins and you laugh at it, you're a fool. Nothing short of a double-barreled fool. Now I want you to watch the verse in verse 18. The preaching of the cross are to them that perish, that's not the proper translation. I want to give you the Greek translation of that. 
the preaching of the cross are to them that are perishing foolish. Not perished. Let me tell you those that are perished, those that are perished tonight or today, those that have perished and rejected this message that are in hell tonight, it's not foolishness to them now. I tell you, the rich man in hell wasn't laughing and joking. It'll not be foolishness to you, sir, when you get into the flames of hell where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I was having a mission down 30 years ago down in her hometown of Derrigan and a woman came to see me after the meeting one night and she says, my minister says that, that, I, that if I die and even I go to hell, I can still get saved in hell. Reprobate. I tell you, the man that was in hell never asked to get saved and he never asked to get out either for he knew he couldn't get out. What did he do when he was in hell? He had already perished. He wasn't perishing he spent years perishing, but he hadn't perished. And there's still hope for you yet that you haven't perished, man. Do you know what he did do in hell? He prayed for his brothers. He says, I have five brothers. Pray for me, brothers. Pray, pray, pray for them that they'll not get into this awful place. I can't tell you, you can't have a man like Lazarus sitting at your doorstep every day that you come in and out calling text of scripture out to you and go to hell and not be foolish. You can't walk up to the town and hear a man preach in the open air and get a gospel track and hear your mother praying and look at and come out and hear meetings like this and perish, you're a fool. It's those that are perishing. Now there's a thing going out. Oh, even, even though you perished, still pray. We can still pray to get you out. It's a doctrine of damnation. Too late when you perished. It's when you're perishing. The prodigal, do you remember the prodigal? He says, my father's house is bred in despair, but I perish. He hadn't perished. He was perishing. Sinner out there this morning, you're perishing. Cast off, lost forever. Don't be talking about Jesus. Jesus found me. Yes, he did. People say, I found Jesus. Let me tell you, Jesus was never lost. Apart from those days in the new boy. You didn't find anybody. We didn't find anybody. He found us. He found us in our sins. You're perishing. These, perishing. This is what the text is. It's foolishness to those that are perishing. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish. So let me finish. Not only the preaching of the cross. But there's the power through the cross. There's the preaching of the cross. There's the perishing at the cross. And there's the power through the cross. 
Unto us, see the bottom of the text, unto us which are saved. Now let me take you again to the Greek in that. Unto us which are being saved. Tis the power of God. Oh. Being saved? I'm saved. Oh, but you're not safe yet. Salvation has three dimensions. Saved from the penalty of sin. The day you came to the Lord and asked him into your heart, you were saved from the penalty of sin, death and judgment and hell. And mighty work and mighty thing was done in your heart as the penalty of sin. But every day we have to be saved from the power of sin. Salvation from the power of sin. And one day we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. There's three areas to salvation. You have a man drowning. Take a man drowning. He's coming up. He's gurgling up for the last time. And they snatch out a rope. And they cut the hand. And they catch him out. He's saved. But he's not safe. And they get him into the police car, into the ambulance. He's being saved. Until he gets into hospital, until he gets in, until he gets everything cleared up and everything checked out, he's saved. We're being saved this morning. Oh yes, we're saved from the penalty of sin, death and hell. We shall never see, but that's not all there is. Ah, yes, but we're being saved every day, every hour. Paul says, see what Paul says here? He says, unto us, he's including himself. Unto us which are saved, being saved, and will get home to heaven and to glory one day. Are you preaching the saved and lost doctrine? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But we're being saved. Every day, saved from the power of sin. Kept by the power of God. Boy, I tell you, I couldn't keep myself for one minute. I couldn't keep myself for half a minute. But Peter says we're kept by the power of God. Onto salvation. Onto the Savior. Onto the saving. Onto eternity. Onto home. Let every believer praise God this morning for the grace of God that keeps us every day. Oh, I tell you, I'm glad I'm not an astronaut. I'm glad that I'm simple enough to one day by grace I be saved through faith in the living God. Unto us which are being saved, including Paul, is the power of God, the dunamis, where we get our word jalignite from. Power. Where's the power come from? The blood. That's why we sang that hymn this morning. Oh Christ. Oh Christ, what burdens bowed thy head. My load. My load was laid on thee. Boy, my load would have been enough for him. My load of 25 years would have been enough for him. Behold the Lamb of God 
that taken away the sin of the world. What a lamb, what a load. What a look, behold, the lamb of God. Have you ever looked away to him in faith? Have you ever looked away to that old cross that Isaac Watts penned the hymn when I survey the wondrous cross? It wasn't just a passing glimpse, not just something you sing in a song. But have you surveyed it this morning? What it really cost and the offer of salvation reaching out to you this morning and you're still not saved. Whether you're too proud or whatever's wrong with you, I don't know, but you're a fool. You're a fool. Oh, Christ, what burdens. Bowed thy head. My load was laid on thee. And let me tell you, he'll keep you from the pornography. He'll keep you from the lying. He'll keep you from the thieving. You can be kept by the power of God. And let me tell you this, you can have victory over sin every day through the blood of Jesus. Kept by the power of God through the blood. What a mighty truth this is that he's saying to us. He's getting at the intellect. He's getting at the wise and the mighty and the men and women that don't understand, that can't understand. There's a veil over their minds. They're dark and they're blinded. But one day, one day for some reason, on the banks of the air, he came to a sinner like me. I don't understand it. All I know, there's power in the blood. Cleansing power, justifying power, saving power, forgiving power, sanctifying power, keeping power. Hallelujah. In the blood of the Lamb. Years ago in Portadown, when I went up to Lurgan area, first there used to be a wee fella, wee man, wasn't very well dressed. Used to walk through the town a couple of days a week with a billboard. And on the front of the billboard was, I am a fool for Christ's sake. And they used to laugh at him and snigger at him. And then when he walked past on the back of it was, whose fool are you? Whose fool, fool are you? I say to you, come to Christ. Backslider, come back. Fall at the old wooden cross of shame and pain. Well, the Son of God died for our sins. Come humbly to the old cross and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And then, according to Daniel, the wise will be as the brightness of the sun and as the firmament of the stars. Forever and forever. Let us bow in prayer.
Just quieting ourselves now. You're either going out a fool or you're going out a wise man or woman this morning. Remember this, you are perishing. Cut off. Separated. Hell. Before night, maybe. Oh, God. I thank you, Lord, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed it on to babblers and babes. Oh, God, we all thank you this morning when we look around us and see men and women whose shoes we wouldn't lace. And yet they're blinded and dark. For the God of this world hath done it. Lest the light of the glorious gospel. Lord, we believe we've presented the glorious gospel. That Christ died and rose again forever. Come, mighty Holy Spirit, in conviction and repentance and brokenness in all our lives today, that we might never be the same after this meeting, that we will be able to point to the 2nd of October, 2022, where I've received the Lord, restored, blessed, strengthened, at the foot of the old rugged cross. Amen.